crazy. Hi, this is Serendipity Soup. It's a podcast about serendipity, funnily enough. It's about success, failure, hard work and pure dumb luck. But it's not a podcast about celebrities or Silicon Valley billionaires because, frankly, they're not normal. So this isn't about taking lessons from thinly disguised humblebrags. Instead, it's a community of ordinary people with something interesting to say about how their life has turned out. If that sounds like you, get in touch. You can email me using soupofserendipity, or one word, at gmail.com. There might be happy endings, or there might not, because life isn't a story. It's much more complicated and wonderful than that. So, wherever you are in the world, and wherever you are in your life, I hope you'll find something useful to take away from these conversations. Hello, and welcome to Serendipity Soup, the antidote to celebrity success podcasts. I'm Matt Georges, and in this episode, I'm talking to Kate Cousins, author, podcaster, entrepreneur, and all-round high achiever. But it's that level of achievement and ambition that we spend quite a bit of time talking about. Kate, like all my guests, is brutally honest about what it takes out of you as a person to achieve the goals you've set for yourself that there's a cost to success as well as a cost to failure, and that sometimes it's not clear what the boundaries between those two things actually are. I first came across Kate on LinkedIn when she posted about starting her own business, and I enjoyed reading the occasional updates as things progressed. But what really caught my attention was when she posted that it hadn't worked. It's brave enough to start out on your own. It's infinitely braver to admit defeat in public and put out the call to see if anyone can give you a job. But if there's one thing I learned about Kate from our talk, it's that she isn't the slightest bit afraid of failing. In fact, she's made me realise that I need to come up with a whole new word to use for the act of trying something new and learning from whatever happens. Maybe experimenting, I guess. Ideas on a postcard, anyway, please. I hope that you, like me, will learn a lot and be energised by Kate's passion and enthusiasm. If you want to find out more about any of the things we talk about, especially her book, Ladder Climbing in High Heels, and her podcast, Ladder Down, then just check the show notes. Okay, housekeeping. I think this is the first episode I've recorded with no swearies in it, so feel free to play it at full volume, in public, wherever you are. There is some brief talk about depression and being estranged from parents, so if that's not what you want to hear about right now, then maybe avoid the last 10 minutes or so of the episode. But otherwise, it's all good. Right, we're ready to go. Time for a taste of Serendipity Soup. My name is Kate Cousins and what do I do? That's a really good question. So I suppose on paper, I am a director of a business that helps other businesses to grow by basically helping them with their communications, their culture and their leadership. And I'm really passionate about helping other people actually to achieve their potential and to really, I suppose, not be put in a box and to be shackled by maybe their past or their story, but actually just to be who they want to be in the world. I think there's a a tendency for people to think about the sort of stuff that you've mentioned. So kind of communications culture as kind of a bit wiffly waffly a bit bit jargony and yet those are going to be the same people complaining that the the latest announcement by their company director is tone deaf or that the company's heading in the wrong direction and nobody seems to care and it's just funny how there's a bit of a disconnect there isn't there or or it seems to me anyway there's a bit of a disconnect there Mm. between how people Mm. view the kind of consequences of poor communication and poor leadership and how they view the importance of being trained on it and supported on it. Yeah. Oh, well, my biggest bugbear is that people call what I do fluffy. And it's like all that fluffy stuff that you do, Kate, or all that pink and fluffy stuff. I happen to love the colour pink, so that doesn't help. And it's not fluffy. The the biggest thing that I have, the biggest conversations I have, particularly now I'm in the small and medium-sized business space, with business owners, the biggest headaches they have are around a lack of accountability, people not taking ownership. And like you say, this kind of they're waiting for something on high to be almost given to them or said to them before they actually do what they are there to do. And communications to me is absolutely, as you said, it's about let's 
explain what needs to be done and help people to get there and actually not make this this thing around culture something that it's not. It's basically culture is how things happen, how, how we do things, our behaviours at work. Well, you've experienced several different company cultures. I think it's probably fair to say over your time. Yes, I have. <laughs> or can you give us a, a quick tour through your story? Where did you come from? Yeah, yeah. So I suppose oh, it's probably really we have to go right to the back to the beginning. So I was always super ambitious. I think from from a child. So I didn't have kind of the the most happiest of upbringings. I certainly didn't have the worst compared to lots of other people. But I was always desperate to get out and work. I think it's probably fair to say I wanted to earn money. That was my my goal, if you like. So from the age of 14, I went, um, got my first job, just went, walked down to the local pub, was like, have you got any waitressing jobs? Yeah, I'm 14. I really want to, you know, get a job. And it kind of went from there, really. So I've worked from the age of 14. And yeah, I have worked from that, that very early start at the pub to working at McDonald's to, you know, being on the drive through to a supermarket checkout um, and then kind of all the way through to my first jobs out of university. And I think I've always been, as I say, ambitious, you know, fiercely so at the beginning of my career. I just wanted to get to the next rung of the ladder. So culturally, I suppose I always thought, well, if this place isn't going to promote me or progress me, I was quite selfish. I was just very much like, what's in it for me at the beginning of my career? And if I didn't feel like I was progressing, I'd be off. And that's why I moved around a lot in my early part of my career. And people you know, look at me on LinkedIn like I had literally every 18 months I would move jobs because it was about, for me, it was about progression and it was about the next step. And interestingly, and this is where we obviously, our paths crossed at the Environment Agency, it was the first organisation I'd been at where I felt actually I was valued not that I hadn't felt valued elsewhere, but I just felt genuinely that there was a career progression and there was a career path and people wanted me to stay at the environment agency. And so I did. I spent 10 years there. And I think that's for me that I always hold that organisation up. For me, culturally, it was so sound because it was an organisation that valued its people and it valued the diversity of its people. It made a big play on actually what you bring to the party is what we want not we don't want to put you into a, a box well or maybe maybe I was fortunate in terms of the people that that I was led by because I didn't have that in my whole tenure there but I did have it for a good chunk of it yeah I didn't know you at the environment agency but I started following you on LinkedIn especially when you started your own company and so I often say to people on this podcast the only kind of criteria for coming on to the podcast is that I need to be jealous of you. I was jealous of two things. One, that you've risen very high, very fast, and you were high up in the environment agency at a very young age or, you know, a relatively young age. Well, so my yeah. reading of this from the yeah. outside was you you sort of jacked that in because it was like, yeah, I've done that. And now <laughs> I'm going to set up by myself and I'm going to do that. And I was like, whoa. And then I guess what was interesting to me was how positive you were about that. And then... Well, correct no, me if I'm wrong. It didn't absolutely. quite work out. And I was like, oh, dear. Um, <laughs> so it was almost like a little soap opera for me I was watching. And every so often there'd be a little post from Kate. I'd be like, oh, how's she getting on now? How's she doing? And I was just amazed at how magnanimous you were with that. How it was like, <laughs> yeah, it's happened. And then the next thing I knew you were doing something else. And I was like, oh, that's brilliant. Well yeah. done. And then you got your podcast. And I was like, oh, my God, she's doing this now as well. I think there's two things that are interesting there. One is that sudden apparent pivot out from quite a senior role. So you were talking about being ambitious, you got to a senior role and then boom, that was gone. What happened there? Mm. Oh, it's so interesting. So again, a lot of this, I look back and go, oh my God, how naive was I? <laughs> but I do think there's a lot of, a lot of it was, which I hold my hand out, I was genuinely naive about what it would take to kind of be successful as an entrepreneur. So the environment agency was brilliant, loved it, great career. But I have to say, I just got itchy feet. And you'll remember this, but we went through a big transformation, which I was a massive part of leading. And my future, if I stayed, was going to be moving into into a government, into a government organisation, uh, DEFRA. So to be honest, I just didn't see myself 
uh, then maybe it is this whole thing around the perception, but the perception of working as a civil servant, I just didn't see that for me. And actually, I've always been really commercial in my mindset. And the one thing I loved about the Environment Agency, particularly when it was led by by Paul Leinster, who you'll remember, he was very, very commercially minded and he ran it and called it a business. And it always felt like a business. I had big budgets and I was always held to account over those and, and again, learned an awful lot. So I went and worked as, as a director. Of, I got the role of director of communications for Eddie Stobart. Now, Eddie Stobart's in the UK, as people will know, is massive as a brand. So again, part of my ego, I think it was kind of like, oh, I'm going to go and work for a big brand. Also, practically, they were down the road. And with the Environment Agency, I was doing an awful lot of traveling, as I'm sure you were at that time. And I had a young daughter and I was a single mum. I got divorced and it was just, it was all like a little bit too much, if I'm honest. And so I thought, actually, I'll go and work at the Eddie Stobart's down the road in Warrington and I can be a bit more local for Daisy and have a bit more work-life balance. And when I went there, it was just a massive, massive clash of cultures for me. It's a logistics company. It's trucks on the road. I, I knew what I was getting myself into and in fact the guy who interviewed me he was an interim head of HR director of HR he, he didn't make it a sweet sell for me at all he he did tell me that it was going to be very very different and a, and a massive challenge but if anyone ever says that it's a big challenge I, I'm one of these people that's like I'm gonna do this I'm, I can do it I can overcome whatever you throw at me and so I went to work there and it was challenging. And in terms of, they'd never had anyone in-house doing communications. They didn't really get what it was. I was trying to change a board that was very set in its ways. My values didn't align from a very low level values in terms of actually how I do things and what's right and wrong. <laughs> and, and so I just couldn't work there. I struggled to go into work every day. I suffered mentally in terms of just the the impact of that. Yes, I had the title. I'd always wanted the title. I wanted to be director of comms before I'm 40. I think I was like 37 or something. It was a big ego trip. I had the car, I had the money, I had the, the lifestyle. But what did that cost me in terms of actually going to work every day? And I just didn't enjoy it. And so I decided to, again, this is where the naivety comes in. I was like, oh, well, what? I'm just going to start my own business because... I know I'm really good at what I do. Lots of people tell me I'm good at what I do. And I've got all this amazing career. And that sounds so big headed. And people who know me and hope me well enough when I know that actually I'm not like, that's not me. I just know that I had courage in my own conviction. And so I did. I just like decided one day, right, okay, I'm going to leave and start my own business. And that was just a huge, like massive look back and go, what was I thinking? And I do, I suppose that's my biggest I look at it at the time, it was a mistake, but it wasn't a mistake because by doing that, it's led me down this path and led me to meet some brilliant people and got me to where I'm, yeah, where I am today. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? As you know, Kate, I'm currently naive enough to be setting myself <laughs> up in business. And it's very much, I hate to use the American phrase, but you do have to back yourself. Yeah. And I suppose this comes back to something I made a little note of when you were talking your talk around ambition. And you're quite proud of that. But I sense a kind of slight defensiveness on it as well. Definitely. I know exactly what you mean, but maybe maybe I don't. Because I think as a woman, being labelled ambitious is very different to a man being labelled ambitious. The mm. idea of being ambitious is saying, no, I, I want to do this. I know what I want and I'm I'm going to go do it. There's nothing wrong with that. But you can you yeah. can sort of hear it. You can hear the pause <laughs> yeah. in my yeah. voice. I'm a bit sort of, I guess, slightly defensive, even as I say it. And I, I don't know whether it's a, whether it's a British thing. Do you think it is? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. It's that sense of not getting sort of too big for your boots. Can't show off, and it is. It's that kind of fear. Somebody, and again, at the Environment Agency, said to me, "You're very ambitious. It's not very attractive in terms of quality." And and I really challenge that because I do think ambition. It is not a dirty word. It is something that we sh we should strive to be ambitious in the world in generally. But for some reason in in the UK, we just struggle with it. I think. Yeah, thinking about it as you were talking there, I think 
there's a set of maybe assumptions that, that go with the label of ambition, that maybe that's more the issue. So I think that the assumption is that if you're ambitious, you're selfish, that you're just looking to do this for yourself and you're going to trample on other people just to get yeah. where you want to go. True. But I think there's a way of being ambitious that's not like that. And a lot of the time, if you want to succeed, you can't do it on your own. Mm. You, you might try and tell yourself the story that you are, but... <laughs> Even if you set yourself up as an entrepreneur, then you have to bring in an accountant or you have to bring mm -hmm. in like a secretary mm -hmm. or an admin assistant. And they're all helping no. you. You can't deny that. But the idea that ambition isn't attractive, was that the actual word they yeah. used? An attractive quality. An attractive quality, yeah. And it was, again, I think it says more about that other individual. Personally, it's back to... What is not attractive about being ambitious? Well, as you say, if it's at the detriment of somebody else not succeeding, maybe. I think because, again, I do talk on my podcast about this because it's, it, for me, ambition is something to be applauded and encouraged. Hmm. Yeah, I must admit, when I first heard you saying that, because I was listening to what you did with Irene Athel yeah. recently, yeah. and she's amazing. I was yes. really, really <laughs> taken with her. And again, you, you have mm. that kind of conversation because she was yeah. very ambitious and she's unapologetic about it. And I remember there's just these little alarm bells going off in my head. You know, so, oh, ambitious people, they're selfish. Yeah. You know, that, that kind of yeah. thing going off in my head. And yet the conversation you had with Irene, it's very clear that she's not at all like that. No. And similarly, sort of speaking to you as well. But yeah, you, you get these alarm bells, they still go off, don't they? I was thinking, though, when you, you, you did sound as though you sort of out-ambitioned yourself yeah. at some point. You said you'd got to this place that you thought was the place to be, and yet it turned out when you got there, it wasn't. It sounds like there was a re-evaluation there of some sort. So what, what did that feel like? Oh, 100%. I mean, there was a few things going on for me outside, kind of work-wise. So I'd met my now husband, and I suppose my perspective on that sort of whole thing around my whole life changed because all of a sudden maybe career wasn't what it was all about and my daughter was getting older and one of the things I never forget her saying was that I missed her I think it was like her third birthday and then it was like a following Christmas and it was because of the environment agency flooding uh, there'd been really two very major major events in the UK and, and I was literally working around the clock as I know many, many other of us were, but it was difficult. And I think hearing that from her out of the mouth of babes, you sort of think, well, in actual fact, she'd got to the point where she was at school. I felt like I was kind of missing out, actually, on her. Obviously met my now husband, Simon, and he has two boys. And so, yeah, there was a big, big re-evaluation. What actually am I doing this all for? And this is probably... Well, it's definitely, I've had enough therapy to know it's because I of my, my upbringing, but it's always been for me, it's around financial security and trying to, you know, get the house, get the car, get the money. And actually, all of a sudden, it was, that's that's a box that, whilst it's I've maybe ticked several of them, actually, that wasn't making me happy. And in actual fact, what was I here on this planet to do? It wasn't just to be this commercial ambitious woman it was to be a mum to be a wife to do something more with my life really and to help other people and so that's when I wrote my book so I self-published a book called Ladder Climbing in High Heels and it was all very much around my experiences being a kind of ambitious woman in, in quite a male dominated environment and and my experiences and just yeah sharing my advice to other younger women I suppose who were at the start of their career kind of wishing I'd knew what I knew now, that whole thing around, if I knew what I knew now, 10, 20 years beforehand. So yeah, it was it was a major re-evaluation. It's a really good way of putting it. So it was called Ladder Climbing in High Heels, the book, which I love as a concept. And your podcast is called Ladder Down. And I hadn't heard that phrase, but that's the idea that you send the ladder down to help other people climb whatever career they're looking to get yeah. into. So that mm. was, was that the idea behind it? The whole ladder thing. And actually, it's funny now because I talk about it and think, God, it's a ladder makes it sound like it's top to bottom. And, it, and of course it isn't. Life is not a, a ladder. We go straight up. It's like, for me, it's a mountain. We go round and we go up and we go down and we go, you know, in circles sometimes. And then we come back down. <laughs> the book, um, in a nutshell, was, was just very much, a, I wish I'd 
known this when I was you know, 21 coming out of university and it was more around I suppose if I'm honest it was around kind of standing up for yourself and not changing yourself to fit in I'm actually working on something else but another book called Don't Dim to Fit In I suppose that's in a nutshell what it was all about and I think we do, we dim to fit in. I certainly did. We went through the phases of, oh, I shouldn't have blonde hair or I should be wearing different clothes or not wearing pink as much. And I had this feedback throughout my career all the time from these people who I think genuinely thought they were helping me, if I'm honest. And in actual fact, I did get to the point where I just thought, well, if I have to conform and be this person, then this isn't who I want to be anyway. So I just, I want to be myself. And I think the world's changed massively, massively in the last even six, seven years with the whole Me Too movement and women just kind of going, we're not going to put up with this anymore. And they kind of smashed the patriarchy stuff, which I have to stop myself from getting too embroiled in. But it's a massive, it's a massive benefit. And plus, because I think young women now, hopefully, have got more role models. They can see that they don't have to be a certain way, dress a certain way, have their hair a certain way to progress in their careers, they can be themselves. Yeah, that's interesting. I was often told that I wasn't corporate enough. And you're just thinking, <laughs> that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Because there's a kind of surface level meaning. And then there's sort of several deeper meanings to that. And the surface level meaning is yeah. something along the lines of just kind of tone it down a little bit. But I think the deeper level meaning is actually much more insidious. And it's basically yeah. don't question, don't challenge, fit in. And just as you say, there's a real tension there. And I find it hard to say, should you bring your whole self to work? And I'm not entirely sure you should. You know, there's aspects of me that I really don't think <laughs> anybody at work wants or, or needs to see. But then if I'm not yeah. some version of myself that I'm comfortable with, then I don't know. I, I think it, for me, it's authenticity. It's around you can go to work, you can do your job without kind of faking it. And again, this had been a, a big change for me because I was thinking part of my book, I talk about fake it till you make it. That was certainly my story. And now I'm like, actually, no, you shouldn't have to fake it. <laughs> Don't fake it. Work out who you are. Work out what your strengths are, as we've talked about before, what our values are, and work yourself around that. Don't try and be this corporate clone. I think being told you're not corporate enough, I, that does make me want to shudder. It really does. I've heard it. I heard people say it. Um, because in actual fact, what does that mean? You just want to recruit people who are in your likeness as a leader. Well, then the organisation will end up just being very bland and very unchallenging and not particularly a great place to work. And that, that for me, is what's different about actually working in small and medium businesses now, is that you wouldn't ever have any of that. You just don't. You don't have people because they're not corporate. They're not corporate organisations. They are human businesses. You come to work, you're not a number. You know, I work with businesses probably up to around 250 staff. Everyone knows everyone and they're social and they talk to each other and they know what's going on in and out of their own lives. And I think that's what makes it different when you go from a big organisation to a smaller organisation. It is more human. Yeah, that's a really good point. I was thinking about the army whilst you were talking. And the reason I was thinking about the army was because you're not supposed to question things there because that's what the hierarchy and the sort of chain of command is for. Yeah. And I can see the benefits of that. You know, I've taken the army as an example, but any sort of organisation like that. But at the same time, what do you lose when you have that approach and, and what do you gain? So I'm an economist, so what are the costs and benefits of this approach? Mm -hmm. And then as you were talking, there was more about kind of small organisations as being human. And, and of course, you know, that's what most organisations are, I, I would say. It's just a group of people kind of rubbing along yeah, or trying yeah. to anyway. Yeah. So it, it's funny how over a certain size that that gets lost and maybe your role is trying to get something of that back for those larger organisations. So for smaller organisations, I see there's a different challenge there, which is that maybe they don't have any internal communications no, at anything, all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But for a larger organisation, yeah. it's, it's trying to get that Absolutely. back. Absolutely. Yeah, that yeah. sense of camaraderie. Yeah. I don't know if that's the right but, word, but at least people getting 
Together. And how do we take the, the top messages and what we're doing as a business and make them relevant to absolutely everybody in the business so that we all know where we're going? We're all on the same page and we've got that sense of belonging. When you work in an organisation like the Environment Agency where there's 10,000 staff, that was massively challenging. But as you say, going into a business where there's even 15 people, that's also equally as challenging because they just think that this stuff happens by osmosis and very often it doesn't. I guess, especially if it's grown up from a very small company where it's literally just sort of one mm. or two people. Well, it does happen by osmosis there. Because we're just, we're, yeah. everybody's always talking, right? And then at some point, presumably yes. that pattern breaks down and it's like, ah, right, how do we do yeah. this? It's so interesting because that's exactly what I do now is, is go and chat to, to or go help businesses. As you say, they've grown up from maybe one or two people that are now got maybe five people, maybe then 50 people. And it is for me, it's so easy because I just go, well, it's just about being human, isn't it? And it's just about talking to people. And it's just about making the, telling people a story about what the business is doing and having a story about the business and where it's going and all of that sort of thing. But actually that stuff, quite often when you're a business owner, I think people forget about it and they just actually, I'm just running my business. I'm doing this. I don't need to tell everybody what I'm doing because we're just, we're getting on with it. And in actual fact, that's when you get that disconnect with people just not really then feeling that they're not buying into where the business is going, what the business is all about. They don't maybe feel that they belong. And they have, that's that for me is culture. So that's what I enjoy doing. <laughs> I also wanted to come back to your decision to strike out by yourself. And I think you're being a bit unfair on yourself here by saying you're being naive. There's nothing wrong with giving it a go in my view. Uh, although I would say that because that's exactly what I'm doing right now. But so if you're naive, then I am too. And I'm kind of happy to join you. <laughs> oh, I was naive about the money. I think I was I was naive about, oh, I'm going to earn this much money. And yeah, and my pay my mortgage every month. Genuinely, that was a massive struggle for me. That those first 12 months, I mean, thank God for my husband. It was, it was really tough because I had been used to the security of, a salary and a, and a comfortable salary at that and all of a sudden when you're trying to then generate your own income from zero from flat line I didn't know how to sell myself I didn't know really what I was offering in the market if I'm honest because when you think about what I used to do in my career it was corporate communications that's that's ultimately what it was with leadership and culture and all the stuff that we talked about but if you put a label on it it was corporate communications. So then I was selling that to non-corporate audience who didn't get it. And I'd go to networking events and they go, well, I understand marketing, but I don't really understand what you do. Is it PR? Is it public relations? I was like, well, there is an element of that. Yeah, but it's more employee engagement. But I just didn't have the language to sell it. And, and to sell myself, I was I knew what I was good at, but I wasn't articulate enough to really sell myself. Long story short, but I ended up doing PR work really because... That 12 months, that was all that kind of really seemed to resonate with my target market, which was, oh, you can promote me and you can get me out and get me some press releases into the media. Yeah, of course I can. But I'd done that 21 years earlier at my start of my career. And so I felt really, I suppose, kind of despondent. And and I did massively struggle that year. And, and I still do. And I still think that taking the plunge into self-employment is one of the bravest and most difficult decisions anybody can make. And I take my hat off to everybody who does it. I take my hat off to you for doing it because there's been so many times and, and people who know me and listening to this, there'll be so, so many times I've just gone, I'm just going to go and get a job. Because it's, for me, a job is easier. It's secure income. It's, I turn up, I do a job, I get paid, I go home. That is not the case when you run your own business. No one's going to pay you at the end of the month unless you show up, you promote yourself, you get out there, you talk to people, even if you don't feel like it. And some days I genuinely haven't felt like it. And it's been dark, you know, and I have had moments of serious depression where I haven't been able to see the wood for the trees. And I've questioned what's my purpose what am I here to do? This can't be it. This isn't what life is about. I've got myself out of that. And I think for me, it's around actually now understanding that what I do does have a value. However, 
not necessarily equating that to my personal value. So i.e. my net worth doesn't mean my self-worth. And that's been a massive journey for me, massive, massive journey for me, because I've always equated, you know, having self-worth with what I'm paid or money in the bank or whatever. So that's been my kind of big, big epiphany, really, with becoming self-employed and as calling yourself entrepreneur. I struggle with the word entrepreneur. I look at people like Richard Branson and say, oh, they're entrepreneurial, they're an entrepreneur. I don't feel like I'm an entrepreneur. I just feel like I'm doing something that I'm passionate about and that I enjoy and that a way for me to earn a living and I'm helping hopefully helping clients and businesses but yeah I do I do struggle because I don't feel like I'm an entrepreneur <laughs> <laughs> well you you come across as one if that's oh. you know, in the nicest possible way obviously <laughs> thank you um, but I see the point you're making which is uh to be an entrepreneur in some sense is, is just to follow your passions I suppose you're following them further than maybe quite a few other people do but nevertheless, if you're going to succeed, you can't imagine an entrepreneur starting up a business in, in something they don't enjoy. Exactly. It just doesn't make yeah. sort of sense as a concept, no. does it? No. I, I do see I do see why you kind of struggled with the word though, and, and certainly I would. You know, I don't <laughs> see myself as that at all. It's just that whole concept, isn't it? Again, it's a label. It's just it's just I don't like labels. Yeah. 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 It, it's the assumptions that come with it, a bit like the word ambition. Yes. There's there's an assumption that you're some kind yeah. of awful apprentice alan sugar-esque character and of course most people aren't like that mm. the apprentice is uh, it's just a terrible kind of stereotype yeah. i think sir Stuart rose at marks and spencer's said it was he said oh it's terrible it gives a really awful impression of what it's like uh, to be in business because it does because that's not what it's like no no it's not and i think that the biggest thing for me in being in business and and being around business owners is is you're absolutely right they've started their businesses because it was something they really believed in or they really enjoyed or they were really passionate about and and it's grown from that and they've been able to monetize it if you like and make a living out of it yeah and speaking of which you monetized yours so what happened there you you stopped being self-employed and then what happened you moved into the company you're in now is that is that right yeah it's quite an interesting story i put again linkedin great place for people to I think sometimes I bear too much on there, but I put my soul out there and said, I've had enough of this, 12 months down the line, I need to go and get a job. Several people got in touch with me, but one person got in touch with me. She's a, she's a headhunter for a law firm. She said, oh, we've got this business consultancy and we're looking to expand it. Would you like to come in and, and meet the, the people who are involved? So I was like, yeah, okay, that sounds quite interesting. Before I throw the baby out with the bathwater, if you like. So I went and joined this team. So I did 12 months. We were kind of employed. There was five of us. And it was really interesting because we were five very strong characters, very much kind of ambitious in a really good way, but very different in our strengths and different in our personalities. And I think different really in what we wanted the business to be. And pre-COVID, just as COVID kind of was some of the concept that's being talked about, the business just kind of worked out that actually it, it couldn't really survive with five highly paid, highly skilled individuals who perhaps were all pushing and pulling in different directions. And so we called it a bit of a day. Well, we, the, the business called it a day. And myself and another one of the five we had some clients and we were servicing those clients. And as COVID was happening, we were servicing those clients. We were actually like, well, look, we think we've got something here that we can do together. His skill set's very different to mine. He's got a very operational background, but we've both got a shared passion for leadership, culture, communications, helping people reach their potential. And so we set up as we are now and we're just about to go through a rebrand. We're about to become a Dice Business. As in rolling the dice, we go in and we help businesses to change the game. And again, business is like a game. It's like when you're a business owner, it's quite lonely. You haven't necessarily got anybody you can talk to. And and Steve, my business partner, has run his own business and sold his own business. He's been in that, I mean, I would put him in that entrepreneurial chair. He's been in that company boss position. So he's very good at that. And I'm very good at being able to help from the almost like the grassroots level and give the employees a voice and again, give the, have that passion around helping the, the business to create a culture where people actually really enjoy coming to work, where they see 
a career path where they have the opportunity to follow their own passions as part of their work. So I now I'm a business owner. It's very much shared and I have, we have other business partners So for, as part of the law firm. So we've got some silent business partners as well. So there's another five, actually. It's a good, a good number five. It's one of my favourite numbers. There's five of us. And we're growing the business that is soon to be launched as Dice. Oh, fantastic. Good luck with it. I, I'm sure you do really well. Thank you. Um, I remember that post on LinkedIn. But if, if I ever post on LinkedIn, you know, they, they'll get a few hundred views. If, if, if they get a few thousand, like in the low thousands, I'm like, oh, oh, this is, oh, you know, <laughs> this is big. And, and the, but the two that I did where I talked about having to take a couple of days off because my mental health was very yeah. poor, for some reason, I don't know, my brain just wasn't mm-hmm. sort of quite right that day and I just couldn't function. I wasn't doing anything. So, I mean, I could have turned up to work and be paid or I could have just said, look, I just need to take a break. And yeah. I just posted about that. And my manager, he was very, very good about it. And he said, wow. take the time. And he, he didn't ask why. He didn't try and solve the problem. He just no. said, take some time. And those posts got hundreds of mm. thousands of views, like properly, properly viral. <laughs> and nothing I've done before or since has got anywhere near that coverage. Yeah. And so there is this untapped need for people I think to hear those Mm. stories yeah and I remember reading yours Kate and I thought oh god that's brave and and well done on it and and I hope she's all right but it it did work out you know you reaching out like that which I think traditionally people were saying is a, a sign of weakness and it's like was it because you know look where you are now it looks like a position of strength to me oh well 100% if I hadn't have written that article what was article post really kind of brave post that I look back and think oh that was brave for me to do that and I was being vulnerable very vulnerable I wouldn't be where I am now I wouldn't have met Steve I wouldn't be in the business that I'm in I wouldn't be working with the amazing clients I'm working with and I wouldn't be doing the podcast I wouldn't be here I would have gone back to some sort of role maybe I'd have enjoyed it I never say never you know I always think Again, it's back to if the, if the right organisation. But for me, it's now I get to help more people, not just work in one organisation. I get to help several organisations at once and hopefully many more over the years to come. Mm. That concept of vulnerability is so important, though, isn't it? Because it's a very vulnerable place to put yourself out there. But that's part of the reason I've set Serendipity mm. Soup up is because... I'm as interested in people's stories of failure, yeah. in inverted yeah. commas, as I am in success. In fact, I would say I'm more interested. And the issue I've always had with it is that the only people you hear talking about failure... It, so there's a podcast about failure, and it's like this uh, journalist interviewing people like Malcolm Gladwell. I don't know if you've ever uh, heard of him, but yeah. he's like this you know, globally well-known author talking about failure. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure he has failed, and but that's... I know. The thing is, that's not really coming from a position that most of us recognise. No. You know, I get that he's tried things and they haven't worked, but the thing is, he's now yeah. massively successful. All the people she interviews are massively successful. And I'm not saying you're not at all, Kate, but... You no, know, no, but it's... You're much more at a level that most of the rest of us can emphasise with. Exactly. Or we can... With. Exactly. And it's like, I just always say I'm, I'm normal, whatever normal is, but I'm just that normal with kids working paying off the mortgage doing all that you know mundane stuff that we do but ultimately well it's what my life is about it's what lots of people's lives are about yeah exactly and it takes a lot to talk about that to be vulnerable and to say yeah you know I tried something and it didn't work which is odd because the received wisdom is all about how you always learn from failure and if we learn from it so much why don't we talk about it I know and people are so afraid of it don't get me wrong I'm afraid of it It, who wants to fail nobody wants to fail do they they start and you want it to be a success but everyone always says however many Dyson's James Dyson (laughs) created before he created the dice and it's just but you're right we don't talk about that it's always someone has to get to the finishing line or the top or be this successful person before we actually go do you know what it was bloody difficult while I was in it (laughs) yeah and I think the more that we can talk about that and I think maybe that's why your post got so much interaction Mm, because we want that authenticity we want to hear from real people going through real things right now we don't want to wait to hear Matt George's story in five years time when you're perceived as having made it in some way shape or form 
And this is where, again, I'm really interested in people's stories because this whole thing, this concept of making it, being the top of your game, the top of the ladder, whatever it is, it's, for me, that's not what life is about. It's the journey, not the destination. And it does sound cheesy because it's been overused. People talk about it too much. But in actual fact, if you're not enjoying what you do, if you're not waking up in the morning and kind of going, yeah, actually, this is this is quite cool. And I'm enjoying what I'm talking to you today, Matt, and what I've got planned later in the day, then what's the point? <laughs> it's like, what is the point? Yeah. Yeah. You've reminded me, actually. So I spent far too much time as a kid in the arcades in New Brighton. <laughs> One day I <laughs> finished the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle arcade game. And yeah. <laughs> I can tell you the sort of feeling of emptiness as the credits roll. I think I was 12 at the time, maybe, because I still remember it very vividly. It was like it was a pretty special oh. moment. And even though I even though I couldn't articulate it, it was the first time that a seed had been planted that maybe achieving a goal isn't quite what you thought it would be. Maybe other people have finished computer games and been like, oh, yeah. But for me, it was a really empty feeling because it was like it was over. And I was just, oh, um, what do I do now? Absolutely. So I guess this takes me to the question you asked me in your podcast and the question I ask in mine, which is, what's it mean Mm. to win life, win the game? You know, what does success mean for you? For me, it's freedom to do what lights me up and and to not have to feel like I'm selling my soul to pay my mortgage. Just being able to do stuff I enjoy, work with nice people, work with people I like and who like me and who don't try to change me. <laughs> I think that that is my definition of success. I think money is interesting as a concept around success because people don't like talking about money, but money is needed. We all need money for life, right? We all need it. So the fact is we, we need a certain amount of money. But for me, money is not success and again having teenage kids at the moment you know talking to them about this that you know what my stepson's like oh I want to earn as much money as I can and it's like but you want to just say to him it's not about the money it's about what does money bring what does money give you for me money brings freedom and choice so you can go on holiday or you can travel or you can decide tomorrow I'm going to take the day off or whatever it is that's what money brings that's success to me not being driven by the title. And again, this is somebody who was incredibly driven by title, status, ego, and a whole other podcast is me talking about what drove that because that was very much linked to my upbringing and not having that, not having the security, leaving home at 17, not meeting my dad until I was 21, not having a relationship with either of my parents now, being estranged from both of them. There was a whole load of stuff around what drove me to that. But I think, again, I'm always very much that this is the whole thing around serendipity. These things happen for a reason. For me, that was part of my story, part of what got me and what's led me here. And here is a great place to be. And I am. Don't get me wrong. It's not all like sunshine and roses, is it? It's life isn't. But I enjoy what I'm doing. And I get a lot of satisfaction from helping other people. I think that's for me a success. Gosh, that's a very profound answer to to go through all that and to be basically a bit kind of Frank Sinatra about (laughs) it. You know, it's kind of like regrets. I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention, right? Very strong. I get what you're saying. You know, you're in this great place now and that's fine. And, you know, by the logic of that is that if everything in the past had been different, then you wouldn't be in this place now. But still, do you think you've made your peace with that? I mean, it sounds like you have, which, you know, is is quite incredible. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I have had a lot of therapy. I talk about therapy a lot. I'm very open about it with my clients. I talk to people, you know, and again, I've had all sorts of various different typed counselling and and talking and I read a lot on this this subject and the subject of I suppose making peace with with your past but I have made peace with it I think it's interesting when putting myself out there when I first put myself out there some of my family members got in touch with me and they didn't like the fact I was being honest about telling my story my truth and I retreated, actually, and I thought, actually, maybe I shouldn't say what my story is and I should should sort of retreat and, and not tell other people. And I've, I've definitely got through that and come out the other side. And 
I do think now that actually the more that we talk about this stuff and make it more open and more visible. I've just been so surprised at how many people have had similar issues to me. I used to think I was the only one who was estranged from their parents. If you go on Instagram now, there are just like millions of people, which is sad. It makes me really sad. But it also makes me see that I wasn't alone. There were no people like me. I'd had no role models. I am quite spiritual, so I don't know if you've come across the uh, concept of hoponopono, which is a Hawaiian, uh, but it's a concept of forgiveness. And basically, it's a Hawaiian concept and it's forgive everyone, everything. And I love it. And I try and live my life by it because what I realise, and it's the whole emotion intelligence stuff, it's around, you know, people don't wake up, want to be shitty to other people generally. <laughs> they have only got to that place because of something that's happened to them or something that's happened to their family or something in their story. And that for me is is what drives me now to think, well, if someone is, having a difficult time or having an off day or they've shouted at the kids or they've done this or they've done that. It's like, well, why? What's going on for them? What What's driving that behaviour? And ultimately, can I help? And then for me, it is forgiveness. It is around forgiveness is the gift you give yourself. Again, another cliche, but it's true. Um, it's like... Oh, no, I've never heard that. Haven't you? <laughs> so forgiveness is the gift you give yourself. It's not about forgiving somebody for them. Because if you think about it, when you forgive somebody, you're letting it go. But if you're carrying around all this baggage of they did this to me and she said that and he said this and I wish this had happened, I wish that had happened. All you're doing is carrying more baggage and, and creating stuff in your own that's weighing you down. But actually, if you can just say, well, I forgive them, I let it go. It, it gives yourself that gift of freedom. Again, it's back to freedom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to absorb the forgiveness as a gift idea. And I get what you're saying there. That's, that's, um, there's a kind of sense of lightness once you've let things, yeah. you know, like once you genuinely let them go. And I had to listen. So I had a bit of a down period last week. And so I embraced that and I haven't listened to it for a while. But I, I binge listened to a whole load of Griefcast, oh, which is a podcast by a uh, lady called Carrie Ad Lloyd. Yeah, oh, God, just getting goosebumps, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah, she's amazing. One of the ones that I was listening to was with uh, Alan Davies, the comedian. And, oh, goodness me, I didn't know Alan Davies' past. Yeah. You know, he, he doesn't make light of it, but... Oh, no, I need to listen to that one. Uh, he talks about it in a very matter-of-fact way. So it's only after a while that you're like, I'm sorry, what? And you, you kind of do a sort of double take and say, what happened? Anyway, I, you know, I won't ruin it. But one of the things he talks about there is the fact that he's been very open about things and his family mm -hmm. didn't like that at all. And it's uh, it's a very difficult line to tread, isn't it? Because I guess it comes back to that thing we were talking about around conformity, yeah. around if you're in a company, then there's this thing about not rocking the boat but if you're not rocking the boat, maybe you're not doing the right, or you're not being you. Yeah. Uh, it, it has it has consequences. But at the same time, it's, it has costs mm -hmm. and, and benefits. And there's a benefit to telling that story, not just to you, because, you know, as you say, there's an element there of, of sort of lightness, it kind of dealing with some of this stuff, yeah. which, you know, I've had to deal with during therapy as well. But there's also a sense of kind of helping other people with that, you know, because yeah. as you say... yeah. If you're not careful, you can very easily just say, oh, well, you know, this is just the way life is. And it's like, no, it's not. You know, other people didn't have to go through this. It's okay that you did and let's yeah. work it through, you know. Um, yeah. It's tough. Yeah, definitely. But I do find a lot of solace in the fact that my story can help other people as well. That's a big part of of what I want to do more with the podcast, of what I want to do more with writing. I think when you can share your story and and help other people to go oh yeah actually it's okay to fail in inverted commas and it doesn't define you that actually you can pick yourself up reinvent yourself like my favorite person if you talk about who I'm inspired by it's Kylie Minogue I mean obviously I grew up as a child of the 80s why do I like her so much because she reinvents herself she's always relevant to the the kind of here and now she's obviously always you know really positive and upbeat and she's gone through her own you know adversity with cancer but one of the things that I think I admire her for is because she will just think well 
I'm going to pivot and change. And that's what I feel sometimes like, oh, I'm doing this now or I'm doing that now. And people must go, what's she doing? Well, during lockdown last year, I set up this little clothing business. Why? Because I was bored and I wanted something to do. And guess what? It didn't make any money, but hey, ho, it was a bit of a business venture I learned from and I enjoyed it. I had some fun. And I think sometimes, again, we forget that's what for me, that's what life is about. My friends will tell you I'm a bit of a party animal, but I do genuinely try and find the fun in life. God, we'd, we'd, what would we all live for if we read the Daily Mail every morning? It's mean. It's just, for me, it's around actually gratitude. I live my life by gratitude and being you know, grateful for what I've got, looking around at people, thinking, wow, if they've got success, amazing for them in whatever that looks like. For me, it's around just wherever life plants you, bloom with grace. <laughs> There you go. It's another another cliche for you, Matt. Uh, just one final question then, which was around failure. So mm. you were talking about Kylie Minogue there. And of course, the risk for her is if she pivots, is that she gets it wrong. Because you could imagine if Kylie suddenly decided that actually the thing she was going to go for was, I don't know, country line dancing yeah. or something, yeah. you know, she could bomb. And yet, as you mm. say, she's changed over and over and over again. And each time it's a risk and it, and, you know, sort of similarly with you, you've just thrown in there that you just kind of started a clothing company. It didn't work out. And I was like, <laughs> what? Hang on a minute. What? <laughs> yeah. And so presumably you were neither afraid of failure, you know, before it happened. I, yeah. <laughs> I can tell from your, your facial expression and your voice that it doesn't bother you in the slightest. Yeah. And I'm just like, wow, that's amazing. No, because I think, I, yeah, it's learning. Yeah, for me, le- learning is a big part of life. I, I never stop learning. Probably one of my biggest passions, actually, is learning and then sharing my learnings with other people. Maybe that's that's kind of in a nutshell what it's all about. But that's why I'm always reading. I'm a bit of a geek. I'm a bit of a nerd. And I just love to learn whatever it is. I'm, I'm massively into kind of psychology. I don't know. It's, it's interesting with Kylie because she does wine. She does homes, interiors. She does all sorts. And so she must have like an amazing, she's got several businesses and she must have like an amazing team. But I just think with, the, there is something for me in not being afraid to try stuff, being open-minded to, you know, and not having, I think for me, I don't always have like an outcome that I've got in my head. It's just, it's not like, oh, I want to be a millionaire. And I think maybe this is, again, is what I've learned from my career, my traditional career, is it isn't linear. I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there. Some things will work, some things won't. But it's all part of it and just have some fun along the way. Yeah, that's a really important note to end on, which is the idea of of maybe not having the outcome, just having this kind of fixed outcome. But having more of a kind of process. It's like, let's do something I enjoy, see where it takes me. Anyway, look, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you, Kate. Thank you so much. Oh, you, thank you so much for having me on. I loved it. Loved it. Thanks, Matt. Well, there you have it. Huge thanks to Kate for taking the time to talk to me, even while she was trying to launch a whole new business. Thanks also, as ever, to Julian Holmes for his awesome cover artwork, to Anna Gunn for editing, especially on this episode as I really screwed up the recording on this one, to Acast for hosting, and of course to you for listening. Remember, if you think you could add some flavour to Serendipity Soup, get in touch. You can email me at soupofserendipity, or one word, at gmail.com, message me on LinkedIn, or tweet me using the handle at soup serendipity. Thanks again for listening, and see you soon for another serving.